0: Um, My name is Stephanie Butler, and um, I'll be moderating our conversation today. I am currently a social worker in Southeast. I work at a charter school, Ingenuity Prep, uh, about 10 minutes away from here. I've spent the last eight years in public education. I've worked in Phoenix and Boston um, on the social emotional end, as well as working in failing schools and kind of looking at uh, what we're doing in urban education and ways that we can strategically move the needle. Um, and so, I first, before we got started, um, I wanted to give some framework about why we're having this conversation. Uh, why are you guys choosing to sit here? Why are we up here? Um, why do we care about this? And so um, I'm going to start with kind of a an inverted triangle here. I'm going to kind of start broad and kind of get more specific as to why, as why I feel like it matters to us here sitting in this room. Um, so the first thing that I want to, to kind of lay out is, is the issue. So what, what are we talking about? Uh, the achievement gap. Some of that language might be really familiar to some of you all. Um, some of you might have heard it and not know what it means. Uh, this isn't necessarily set up to be a comprehensive uh, Conversation about what is the achievement gap, but in a very uh, basic explanation. Uh, the achievement gap is the conversation between the, the gap between um, our students of color, um, primarily African-American and Latino students, um, and their white counterparts. So it is the conversation between why there continues to be uh, a huge gap between the academic outcomes of our, our students and urban populations, as compared to those in our middle and upper class communities. Um, The research has been there for a long time. It's not new, um, but it's something that continues to persist. And so um, we talk about it because uh, it's huge and it's something that um, affects the dropout rate. I think that the dropout rate is often almost double that of um, black and Latino kids than those of um, white children. Uh, There's statistics like 30% of African American fourth graders uh, know common uh, math skills. Um, Well, they can't perform basic math skills as opposed to 10% of white students. Um, And so the statistics really are staggering. And so it matters because it's drastic. And so um, there's a lot of conversation that can be talked about about why it persists, uh, what are the reasons behind it, our goal today isn't necessarily to get into kind of all the systemic issues that are involved there, um, but the point really in this is that it's there. And so these are some of the things that we're going to be um, discussing. So that's kind of the, the big picture. So that's the achievement gap. Um, I want to narrow it down a little bit of like why it matters in our city. Um, so if you look at the, um, the handout um, that John passed out. You'll notice um, here our park results. Our park results are our national exam um, that kids from third grade up have to take. Um, and if you look at the data, you will see um, that only 22% of black students are proficient in English. Um, you'll notice that only 18% of students, black students in DC are proficient in math. Um, You can look at some of the other statistics. um, White Caucasian, 82% proficient um, in math and 75% proficient, I mean, switch that, 82% proficient in ELA and 75% in math. Um, You can see kind of on the chart on the right, uh, it's hard to see, but it's from 2000 to 2010 to 2015, the darkest gradient. Um, is Ward 8 and you will see that the um, poverty over time has increased and so It's important to know that because this isn't uh, This isn't just a national statistic Um, This is a statistic that impacts the students that sit in the seats that you're sitting in right now. So it's a statistic that um, impacts our students across the street in our community Um, It's not far away, and so um, I really wanted to drive home that this is, these are students in DC that are impacted by the achievement gap. It's not just students in places that we can't see, um, but it's very tangible to our work here. Um, So that's kind of of the the very brief uh, overview of the achievement gap. I next wanna just uh, lay out why we should care. So like, why, why should we care about this? Um, I think first, uh, God cares for children. Um, I think, oops, um, I think that in, oh no, oh no. I'm having a technical
1: <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's Julian, Julian's
0: here. The, this is the first time they put it in with someone with hair, so oh. I feel like. Uh, <laughs> No, no shame, Mrs. T. It's just um um, You just don't have all this. And so it's like complicated. Um okay, thank you. Just
1: Just gonna keep it cool.
0: Um so the first thing is that uh so God cares for children. I mean God uh I think that the scripture is really clear about that, but just wanted To point out one scripture in um, Matthew 18, 2 through 7, he says, um, "And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones... Once you believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Um, and so God is very clear um, about his love and care for children. Um, I think we should also care um, because God cares about the poor and the oppressed. Um, again, many scriptures that tie to that, but one um, that I just um, kind of thought about was in Deuteronomy 15:11. 11, um, where he says, um, for there will never cease to be poor in the land, therefore I command you, you shall open your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. Um, and so once again, um, I feel like there's uh, a command to care about the poor and the oppressed. Um, and I think um, lastly, God cares about justice. And um, one of my favorite verses in um, Isaiah 58, um, The Lord is, uh, in Isaiah 58, he says in verse 6, Is not this the fast that I chose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Um, So I, again... Very brief, but I think that um, we care about it because I think it's the things that God cares about. And lastly, why do we care at ARC? Um, One of our family missions is um, we focus on the four C's. So that's around message, mercy, multiplication, mission, and maturing. And so we really do believe that caring about public education is an aspect of caring about the four M's. And so um, I invite you today to just learn um, from... The panelists here who are doing the work so they're on the ground there uh they see the faces of the students that we often refer to and see in research um they um have learned a lot and um i hope that you can learn from them but also our prayer is that there would just be a call to respond that you would um kind of hear what's going on, and that something um, maybe would shift in your heart, it could even be small to just pray, but that there would be a response after today. So um, I'm going to go ahead and let our panelists introduce themselves. Um, They all work in different aspects, um, are connected to different aspects of education. Um, So go ahead,
2: Jelani. My name is Jelani Steele. Many of you know who I am. I have six children in DCPS, and I have been very involved in their education since they've become students in DCPS, and that's why I'm here, to give a parent perspective.
0: Um, and really quick, sorry, Sarah. I just If you wanted to say your name, where you're working, and how long you've been in education.
3: I'm teaching
4: sixth grade. Good afternoon. My name is Connie Brown. My career book ends here. I started in 1974 at a place called Parent Child Center on 14th and U. And I'm now at um, Inspired Teaching Public Charter School. It's in Edgewood in northeast D.C.
1: I'll say good morning. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. I'm Patrice Wedderburn, and I am an education attorney for an organization called Advocates for Justice in Education. And I was going to give a brief synopsis. It's a parent training and information center. And in that role, I um, represent families in special education and school discipline matters. And I've been there about two years.
0: Awesome, thank you. Um, So my first question is, um, what brought you all to education? Jelani, why'd you um, put your kids in um, public education? Kind of like, what brought you to where you are right now?
2: Down
0: the line. (laughs) Yeah, you can go down the line if you wanna like mix it up, it's fine.
1: Okay, I can go. So um, I was thinking about this a lot. So I think my journey in I think some things are helpful. One, my parents are immigrants, so I think outside of Jesus, my parents from like, the moment I could talk were like, was like, education is your key to success and it's going to open a lot of doors. Um, and so I grew up in Montgomery County, Maryland, which is about 45 minutes, depending on where you are in the, in the county from D.C. And so when I moved into the city in 2008, um, I was just struck by the disparities that I saw in the education system between where I grew up and um, the city, and I was struck by the students I was interacting with. I was volunteering with some um, after school programs, and I saw kids on the street, and I was just like, wow, like how could a city, the nation's capital, be so different from where I grew up, um, and why? And that pretty much began my journey, and then I feel God
4: just kind of ushered me along to this point where I am today. Mine is a little different, it goes concurrent with my. Um presentation of Knowing Christ. Um, I came to um, Howard University, as John Turner would say, as a gangster. And I, it, I just thought in the 60s, you know, what you do is not only be a gangster, but also, you know, you try to write the Romans in your own flesh. So I was in poli-sci. Um, the Lord began to call me to himself through some um, peers who were Christian. And um, at the same time, I don't know how I got moved into early childhood except the Lord. But um, I did a, a year long um, internship. It was similar to, I guess we call it Teach for America Now. And that's what put me on the 14th and U Corridor. And um, again, the disparities were there. Um, Parent Child Center is a model where the parents have to participate in learning things so they could be better teachers to their children. So we had pimps and prostitutes, and this was the quarter at that time. It's now one of the most gentrified places in D.C. But um, the Lord was teaching me through so many things, um, his, his compassion and his mercy and his mission, and he gave me a love for teaching that I didn't have until um, he, he really, literally, I became a new creature at the same time that teaching became a part of my career.
3: Um, I definitely did not want to be a teacher. <laughs> um, didn't go to college for it. Both my parents are teachers. Um, didn't want to do it. Um, but the Lord grew my heart for communities, specifically in D.C. During college I worked here. Um, my heart grew for the communities, for the, specifically the, the children, the kids in the communities. Um, and so just working in different communities similar to Anacostia, Lincoln Heights, um, areas here in Richmond, Um, I taught at a private school in Richmond, and I was like, "Uh, uh, I I mean, this is okay. Like, I kind of like this. So I came back up to D.C. to get my certificate to teach um, special education, just seeing the need, loving the kids, seeing the need for education, their need specifically for education, and seeing how the Lord had equipped me to teach, kind of just lined up, and I got my certificate through an alternative program. So, So similar to Jamie,
5: I never wanted to be a teacher, and my senior year of college, um, originally I was really interested in doing overseas ministry, and because of a couple things that happened, that wasn't, I didn't feel peace about doing that my senior year of college, and so, the next thing I was really interested in was inner city ministry, and I had always really enjoyed working with kids, and so I remember Teach for America came to um, my school and did a presentation, and I became really interested, so I applied there and didn't get in, but I applied to a lot of other programs too, like alternate routes to getting my certification in teaching, and I ended up in DC, and now I love it. I'm really glad that the Lord led me into teaching, but it was totally a God thing, because I never even thought about being a teacher
2: well uh, aside from studying education undergrad um, our journey my journey really began when um, we learned that our daughter had uh, has autism and so therefore she had to go into the uh, system of um, she had to go into the system um, DCPS system to be serviced with the services that they they give and um, I was not for that at all, and so I think just being a father, just overly concerned about the quality of service and care that um, that she would receive in the public um, schools. Um, I became involved, went to every meeting, um, and I began to notice some things there um, in terms of how we were treated, and um, so I started speaking up. So. <laughs> Start speaking up on, on and advocating for my own child, and just just understanding the importance of doing that. Um, and so when my other children uh, became students, and you know we sent them to school, um, I just my wife and I we were um, just always involved in that process. So awesome. yeah.
0: thank you. Uh, so. What ways do you all see um, the work? Oh, I'll just ask it this way: What ways do you see the five M's play out in um, your daily work um, in education? So, message, mission, <laughs> mercy, multiplication, and maturing. So, at, it doesn't. You don't have to list all of them, but if you want to just pick one, um, which one do you feel like you see playing out the most in your work?
3: I can go. Um, So thinking about all five, I think mercy really sticks out to me. Um, The verse in Titus, Titus 3.14, let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Um, I think that mercy is played out every day in our kids' lives. yeah just seeing seeing the the deep need for education here in this in this community, specifically Anacostia high school um, that's that's my main perspective, just so you guys know that's like where I'm coming from. Um, it's my perspective for my time here. Um, yeah, just seeing the the need for just a deep <laughs> um, education and community involvement, I think that's the biggest contrast that I see here versus working at Stuart Hobson on the hill. I've been at Stuart Hobson for four weeks and the amount of parent and community engagement there is astronomically different. Um, they're working with like a, literally a $350,000 PTA budget. Um, and here you can barely get parents to come to meetings or community members. So it's just like investment in education from the community, from parents, from community members. Um, and I think that that's a huge mercy that that they see that is needed here. And so, thinking about my role, my role is like just trying to go into the schools and teach well within the system, um, and love them well, and give them my my best. But then also like encourage and come alongside of whatever's happening in the school to support and to like, how can we get this better? If we as a church and church broadly believe that each person is created in the image of God, that means all the children are created in the image of God. And if it's okay for kids to be sent to Stuart Hobson from Ward seven and Ward eight, to be sent to Stuart Hobson for its reputation, why is it okay for other kids to come to schools that don't have as good of a reputation? Um, that's something that was said at, I think the Just Gospel Conference, um, at one of the panels panel sessions, someone mentioned something about just the idea of each child being made in the image of God, and if it's okay to send them to one school, why are we not fighting to make that school in your community the school that kids get sent to because of its reputation, um, instead of sending them out but like investing in where we're living and where we're serving, and right now, like as a church, like ARC, that's Anacostia. So Anacostia High School, Kramer Middle School, Ketchum Elementary, um, specifically those those three schools. Um, like how can we, as a church, kind of show mercy on those kids, those children who are made in the image of God, and give them what the kids, you know, are receiving next to Union Station on the hill. Um, So that's kind of how I've been thinking about Mercy in regards to like my teaching experience and thoughts.
1: I'll just piggyback um, and broaden it. So I have a real privilege. um, So from as long as I can remember since I've wanted to work, I've always wanted to work with kids. And I remember when I did AmeriCorps straight out of college, My boss was like, well, if you wanna work with kids, you gotta work with their families. And I was like, what, why would I do that? I just care about the kids. (laughs) And this this job um, has taught me the beauty of family and as a Christian, thinking about um, all the riches in Christ and all the blessing of a a, um, church family and this the power of families and how God has created families to do so much of discipleship and the multiplication that we seek or the maturing. Um, my heart has been broken through my job for families east of the river and just the devastation particularly of black families and I think my burden and my heartbreak is why is the church not more concerned about the state of black families? Because before you even you, the child gets to school, they're in a family and so my burden is for more parents like Delani. So. I, I'm, I'm thrilled, I, like, I fall in love with not every client, but many of my clients, um, some of which who engage in different ways than it looks like on Capitol Hill. Like sometimes it's, just, it's taking off work and rearranging your schedule so that you can come to an IEP meeting or a discipline meeting. And when you're met with um, the challenge I have in the school system, when you're met with adults, who may call on the name of Jesus and treat people made in the image of God, adults, poorly based on their economic background or their skin tone or how they speak or the fact they're illiterate, that breaks my heart that the church is not speaking out against that. And so I think there's so many opportunities for ARC in particular and Christians broadly to build up families and build up adults. So because it may be hard, I just shared my testimony at Mercy of Christ, and I was talking about being a child and being raised in their church um, and just the benefits of that because people want to pour into children. But a lot of the challenges I have on my job is that sometimes I'm discipling adults. I'm discipling people who have kids my age or older. And I'm like, wait, what's happened? Where, is, where are their grandparents? Where are the Christians in their lives? And um, if you saw my Woke Wednesday post, that was my thought of just like, why are these parents who are struggling, why are they doing it alone if we have Christian neighbors? And so multiplication and maturing. And so my dream is that I know I've, in the past, and I'm still praying, Jelani has a neighbor that's a friend of mine from work, and I've just been praying for them to get together and there's been barriers. But I just know that I'm excited that Jelani lives in the neighborhood and I know is a faithful father and a Christian and that he's a witness to my friend who, you know, is struggling right now with his child in a situation. So that's my dream that um, ARC, as people who are trying to bring the gospel to the block, are really doing that by pouring their lives into their neighbors,
2: both children and adults. Yeah, I appreciate that, Patrice. Thank you. Um, and I will just add that um, I think the work is to send peculiar children to school, um, and as a way of having presence. I know that my children are who they are. Uh, around me, and then there are something else when i'm not <laughs> when i 'm not around um but one thing I can really say um uh, and that I thank the Lord for is um just kind of just seeing the 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 fruit of them being uh in a family that is uh and just being in a part of the family and that being our value is that while they may have behavioral issues, it's not, uh, I still get the, I still get that my children are uh, a little bit more peculiar, that they're not like um, showing uh, behaviors, they're not cursing in school or, you know, and that that says a lot to the the teachers and uh, those who are um, dealing with them on a daily basis. Uh, And I think that is a, a testimony um, it precedes us, and so um, that becomes important more and more for our rearing um, and what we do in the home. Uh, so, and uh, much like what Patrice said too, is even our um, dealing with uh, the the staff that are that are in the school when we go to IEP meetings for our daughter, or when or when we are. Uh, uh, at PTA meetings, um, and of course, I used to be a board member for uh, a charter school that my uh, my children were as a, uh, was in back in 2012 and 13. Uh, so even there, like just our presence being there and who we are as being Christians, Christ representatives, that says a lot. Um, we also get to interact with a lot of the parents who are who are not in the church um, and there's a lot of relationships that are are built there too. Mm -hmm. So I think it's in that regard, being present in the schools, Mm -hmm. uh, whether you're speaking with teachers, sending peculiar children, Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, -hmm. that's all I have to say about that. I
4: appreciate that, um, (sighs) because um, at our school, even now as we speak, we're partnering with a, a family who has intentionally moved their children into this public charter school and their church planting um, in that area. And um, we partner through prayer. We partner because of her presence and her family's presence and another member here whose presence and children are there um, to see the message being just given as much as we can. And I just am really pleased to hear, Jelani, that's your intention. You know, and I saw, I've seen it, you know, since I've known you too. But yeah, I think everybody said it, that the message at the bottom line is, is so important. Um, I, I feel like I'm a teacher, but it's a vehicle to get the message out. So one just quick, something happened to me um, in DC public schools. The older teachers were getting fired, me among them. I had an ELL teacher with me who we were exactly the same age. And I was like, you're blowing up like a blimp. Stop eating so much. She says, oh, Brown, you don't have to worry about it. You have a husband. You know they're gunning for us. And surely she just, she was, I says, well, I'll tell you what. I said, we're early. We come here early. We come here almost an hour early due to traffic. I said, let's just start opening the scriptures. I said, you're, you're worried. I want to put your worries somewhere else. And we started to do that, and we started to open the Bible together. The long story short is I wouldn't have known, but by Easter, the Lord took her. She was gone. She had a massive heart attack, and she was gone. But that Sunday, when she had that massive heart attack, I was sitting in church, Eli, I was sitting at CHBC listening to a sermon, and my phone bleeped, and it said, I'm as miserable as I can be, I love you dearly. And that was the last text I would have heard from her. But I truly believe that I'm going to see her in heaven again mm-hmm. because of what the Lord had laid on my heart to, to just calm her down throughout the time that we realized that we were being gunned for and we were on the chopping block. But um, I say that to say that I'm always trying to scheme out ways to, with others and just with the Lord to, to get the message out. Mm-hmm. And it's been his good pleasure to to let me see fruit from that, but, you know, that's, I think, the vehicle of me being there is just trying to get the message to old, young, professional, unprofessional.
5: And going off of that, the M that stands out to me the most at working at Cornerstone is message, and working at a Christian school, we have more freedom to be able to share the gospel message where really encouraged by the administration to do that, and we have Bible class and chapel and a ministry class for the high schoolers once a week. And so And more than that, um, in building relationships with the students, we have the opportunity as teachers and administrators to speak into their lives truth that they're not hearing from any other place. Most of our students aren't coming from Christian families, even though they're going to a Christian school. And so the message is that they're hearing, they're not hearing the gospel message at home, they're not hearing truth at home. And so um, truth changes lives, and it's so incredible to see um, just in my short two years at Cornerstone the ways that God's working um, through the power of the gospel.
0: Awesome. Um, Just thought I wanted to just decode a little education language in case you're not in the realm. Um, So IEPs stand for Individualized Education Plans. And so when you're in, um, if you have special needs and you're in your special education program, um, you often get an individualized education plan and you have annual meetings and things like that. So when we refer to students with IEPs and IEP meetings, um, that's what that means. And so my next question is um, and if something different than maybe you've already shared is what are some of the biggest challenges um, you feel that your students or families face Um, and maybe what you think are some contributing factors to those challenges but just kind of like right now, what do you feel like is um, most pressing as um, a challenge that you feel that your students and families are being faced with?
4: Okay, I'll start. Sure. The thing that popped in my mind, I just read a blog from um, Desiring God, um, and I'm pretty sure that this guy, he's an elder there at um, Bethlehem, but I think he's an immigrant too. And the title of his blog was Raising Your Children in in the USA is the Most Dangerous Place to Raise Them. And his thesis, again, started on not only the godless culture that is being perpetuated, but just the riches and the way that we can have ease with so much that others don't have. And so, you know, at first I was gonna say, well, you know, just going back to the disparity that you laid before us, Stephanie, but I think I'm gonna stay with this guy's thesis, that um, our sense of privilege and just, we don't need anything because we have it all. And um, that being perpetuated is kind of scary to me.
3: Um, I would say so there's just so many things running through my head right now of like needs and challenges But as a special educator special education is my like my, my feel like that's what my focus is though. So IEPs um, students with disabilities, so I would say access so Students at Anacostia High School have a very different access to supplies to good teachers to um, funding, to then another school on the hill that's also in DCPS. Um, So just access, I think for for schools specifically east of the river, there is probably double the amount of things that they have to go through to get to go on a field trip. Like, I've planned an entire field trip and it's been canceled the day of because someone didn't sign a paper. But would that happen for a school on the hill? No, it, it, just huge injustice for access and access to, um, like I said, good teaching also. So kids are just you know pushed along through due to, there's so many factors behind that, but in my mind, access. So students with disabilities especially, having good special education programs that are supporting them and getting them access to the curriculum where all the gen ed kids are, supports and services like Jelani's talking about, like those things are so much harder for kids to get quality and to get period east of the river, specifically in Anacostia, in our community of Anacostia.
2: I think, uh one of the things that kind of gets under my skin the most um, is school culture. Um, and it sort of pains me in a sense to think about why I don't send my children to a DCPS school in Ward 8 and I do go and travel uh, to Capitol Hill. Um, my children are at Capitol Hill Montessori School in Ward 6. Um, and Lolo Taylor also in Ward, Ward 6. And um, in those schools, uh, the culture is a little better. They do have a lot more access. Um, the instructional um, practices are in place. They are working there um, more so than they are at the, uh, the, schools, the school that is right across the street from my house. Um, but that angers me a little bit. Because I would like to actually send my kids across the street uh, to Turner, and um, you know, and and, and I've been um, sort of uh, talking. I've talked to a couple of uh, principal friends that I know um, who had been principals here in Ward Eight, uh, Ward Eight schools, um, just to kind of get an idea of what it is that they have to go through to sort of have a control. Um, over how they set the culture and the climate in their, um, in their schools. Um, it's tough to, um, it's tough for them because a lot of the systemic, the rules, regulations are out of their hands, um, and they have to uh, sort of subscribe to a centralized uh, mm-hmm. system with DCPS rules and regulations. And so I know that I had a better time in, DC, in DCPS. I had to send my kids to a school in Capitol Hill to ensure that they're in a safe place, that they're gonna get what they need. I had to make that decision. But I, I initially went to a charter school because I think that they had a little bit more autonomy to set the culture and the mm-hmm. climate there. Mm-hmm. And also um, I went to the charter school because um, you know, uh, I was able to sit on a board to ha- kind of help set that climate for that school. You know, and I think it was a very good school, very good climate. I knew all of the parents, I knew all of the teachers, um, and I think, most importantly, I could, I could honestly say that I sent, I have a certain love for my children, but I also understood that some of the teachers there, they actually um, love what they did and they, they loved uh, my, my children, and um, and I can kind of trust that they would do what is best for them. So that was that situation. The situation now is that I don't get that same thing at Turner Elementary and Ward 8, and I think that that's, a not, that, that's an issue. Um, and I think that if there's any issues that's worth tackling, that would be that. Um, I think um, I heard someone say something about the PTA, mm-hmm. how PTA is um, have a budget of uh, $350,000 at maybe a Ward 3, Ward 6 school, mm-hmm. Um, and the PTAs here are non-existent. Um, so, I, I, and I know to be full disclosure, I'm, I think I've been challenged by that,
4: mm-hmm.
2: you know, um, and, uh, and, and saying that, yes, I have presence in the places where my children are, mm-hmm. um, but their need is in Turner, and the need is at Malcolm X and, and um, Ketchum yeah. and Or. In, those, um, in the schools in, uh, in this ward that don't have uh, that type of presence and that type of participation mm-hmm. to parents. Um, and here's another one, I have one more. I think that um, I see also just the, I don't know what to term this, um, the, 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 what, how parents are treated uh, when they are trying to participate in some fashion or form when they're in um, schools um, on this side of the river. Um, I think that a lot of times the professionals in the schools uh, mm-hmm. come across as if they know best mm-hmm. and um, know better than the parents. Mm-hmm. And I think that parents, I don't care who we're, their background, their economic mm-hmm. um, condition, they, they I think that they're there at the school. They mm-hmm. love their children mm-hmm. just as as much, And I don't think that the school realized that mm-hmm. with all of the data um, that we can show and, uh, and that the, pe- the professionals are not the only ones that care. Yeah. You know, and I think that we need to walk alongside those mm-hmm. parents who yeah. are coming into schools and say um, that they care for their kids yeah. you know, and not to treat them with like, disdain like they don't know, like, like they don't understand what's going on. You know, and they may not understand all of the IEP jargon, mm-hmm. yeah. and all. They may not understand, you know. But I think that to like at least give them dignity, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, um, and at, when they're there is like, <laughs> yeah, I've seen it, and I've spoken out against it, and I would not let them do me like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, um, too. So yeah, that's. I think that's important.
1: And it's a huge difference when a father shows up. i would just say. That is my experience. Like they, sometimes some schools really see fathers, and principals, teachers, people have a different approach to fathers in general, but um, yeah, what you described is a lot of the experience of my parents.
4: I was up. just on the same wavelength, and I'm thinking, okay, let's scheme some more, Jana. and um, just this past year at my public charter, I emailed a dad, and I was like, hey, I know you're not getting along with the mom. Yeah. Come in. Show me some presents. And his child's whole educational trajectory yeah. went up yeah. and still is up mm-hmm. because of that. Yeah. But I'm thankful that I'm grandma now and I can, I can say that. Yeah. We did that one other time at another public school where I just said, it's dad's day. I wrote a letter to every dad. They came in, there was one corner having golf, another corner having baseball, another corner having golf. Now, when we can come back, I said, come back tomorrow if you want to, dad. Yeah. Some of you I hadn't seen and your child hadn't seen. But praise God, you've stepped up. And, you know, I, that makes a huge difference. Patrice and I just left a testimony who he was testifying as a dad that he had failed at some point. But by God's grace, as a dad, he's stepping it up now. And we can, we can undergird our dads. By God's grace, we can get them to step it up. Yeah. With you know, with the support and the love and the mercy, yeah, yeah. yeah. So thank you, Jelani.
1: Yeah, I didn't respond to two of the things that Jelani and Jamie highlighted, which to me, from a legal perspective, deal with accountability. So, um, yeah. So there's a reason why there's issues around accountability when kids don't have access to supplies, or when someone doesn't sign off on a field trip, or you know something, or or opening a door in a building. Um, or when, um, as you mentioned, like the regulations, and this is this tension um, that's in the education reform debate in terms of like, what is the right answer? Is it to give charter schools all autonomy where sometimes they cherry pick kids and push them out when they no longer want to serve that child and parents, if they're not on the board, if they're not civically engaged and empowered, if they don't know how to read their handbook, they are not gonna be able to challenge that. They're not gonna know to call a lawyer, they're not gonna know, they're not gonna feel respected to push back, they're just gonna take what a school says, who's not regulated by any authority, and then I would say I have serious concerns with DCPS and when they choose to follow their regulations and not, and, and for me, it's kind of, it's a, yeah, it's a civil rights issue, and it's like, yeah, why, why aren't concerned citizens, people who are voting and paying taxes in D.C., regardless of if you have a child or not, why aren't you calling your Ward 8 person and saying, like, this school should have supplies, that you should be concerned if this principal is pushing out kids? Like, why are, yeah, why as is, why is Christians who are called to care about the world, why aren't we voting with our feet or picking up the phone and advocating on behalf of the children that we say we care about?
5: And going off of that, the first thing that came to my mind, though there's a lot of challenges, is just uh, the absence often of fathers or strong male role models in the students' lives. And right now I'm thinking of one of my students who has um, a family of parents who aren't separated and she has a father um, who's really supportive, but it's hard for me to think of many students who have that situation. and so. That's a huge um, prayer request that, there's, that the students would have more strong male role models in their lives. Especially, I just think about um, the young men, not job, and I mean for young women too, um, but I think so many of the young men that I'm teaching just don't have anyone to look to, to, oh, this is what it looks like to be a godly man. And so that's a huge thing. And then going right along with that too, as another um, topic for prayer is just the students, I think so often don't have someone who believes in them so they have such low self-esteem and they don't think that they can do it such that they'll get frustrated so easily and they'll just stop trying even though they definitely can. And it's been really cool to see how in my classroom sometimes and then with my coworkers too. If there's a student who's really disengaged, sometimes if you just build a relationship with them and just show them that you care, um, and it doesn't have to be a teacher who does this, but anyone shows them that they believe in them, it just can make a huge difference and can turn a kid's mindset around in terms of their learning and what they can achieve.
0: Um, so that's a great segue, Sarah, into kind of our last question. So, you know, you have an audience here that's listening and is engaged. So, what, what can people practically do to help? Um, what are, how can we specifically be praying and kind of give us some tangibles or what, what can the people in this room uh, do to, to kind of make a difference with some of these challenges?
4: We'll just start with the one that we ended with. with um, do pray for us as we start to try to bolster the whole um, male presence, the, the dad presence, um, and loving on the dads and encouraging the dads that, um, I know I come from a male dominated family and most of them are disappointed with their lives. And they have therefore, um, felt like they don't have an influence over their sons and their daughters because they're disappointed with what has happened in the present. And I keep trying to say, doesn't matter. To your son and your daughter, you're the biggest hero in the whole world. There will never be a bigger hero than that. So um, just to keep that message in front of the dads and to encourage and do all that we can to keep them present and their, whoever the care, I'll call the caregiver, whoever they're caring for, Um, because it does make a a huge, a huge difference. So that's kind of a prayer request, and any creative ways that you all can come up with to help us with that would be great.
3: So I kind of have just three things in my my mind, like it kind of, so um, awareness, Involvement in prayer and awareness. Like, ask, ask teachers. Jaylee, she's in a public high school. I know Kanika's a social worker. Um, Sean teaches, well, she works here um, at the high school. Ask, ask teachers about their kids. Ask how it's going. Um, I'll never forget, like, like this room is a spiritual battlefield. I think it was one of the first Sundays we we met here, the Friday before we had an assembly here. And there was a huge fight, like literally in the seats that you're sitting in right now. And just being aware of that is huge. If we don't know that, we don't know what we're up against. And we'll come in, sit down for service, and leave and go back to our homes and in our communities. We need to know what's going on. We need to know about all these injustices that we're talking about. Like it's happening here, like in this, in this building, every day. Um, so that's, that's one thing. So just asking, awareness and asking. And then involvement. Um, there's different mentoring programs that you can get involved with. Um, the House DC, which we meet at every Thursday night, is in desperate need for mentors. Um, people to literally just come hang out after school. They're open Tuesdays through Fridays, 3.30 till seven. You can come and go as you please, but they, just to hang out with kids. And a lot of those kids that go there are students from um, from the high school. So just like going to hang out and investing your time and your life in, in students is, is huge. Um, and then prayer, I think it's, Super, like I said, this is this room itself is a spiritual battlefield. So, just prayer specifically for students and like by name, like you know, you could pray. I could list a th- several kids you could pray for by name. Like just committing to pray for one student or one teacher's classroom, like that goes so far, and it show, and it it helps us, like as teachers, it it helps to know that someone is, is invested in the classroom that we're invested in the kids that we're invested in daily. So I think those three things are really practical and like really helpful for people involved and for the kids that are going to those schools.
2: Yeah, so um, while prayer is definitely key Um, and something I would ask for in terms of safety uh, for our students in schools and our teachers. Um, That's a a really big issue, the school culture and climate, especially in schools that are deemed unsafe, uh, where fights happen more often than not, um, where a large chunk of uh, classroom time is spent disciplining and not teaching. um, That is like, yeah, I think just kind of really be a little bit more specific about what we're praying for when we're praying about uh, what goes on in schools. Um, I think that we get the idea. I mean, this isn't I mean, other than watching "Lean on Me," you know <laughs> you get the idea <laughs> You get the idea about um, uh, some of the things that can go on in schools in some schools. And this high school is very different from Wilson. And it's very different from Roosevelt. Um, and I just, um, and, I'm, and I'm thinking about high schools as I have a middle schooler now, which is crazy. Um, and so the next step is high school. And, you know, um, and just thinking about the kind of things that occur um, at this high school or over at Ballou or what happens at Dunbar or at um, Woodson. Like, I just, I can't, um, yeah. That word, again <laughs> um, yes, and I think that male presence, I, I think that's a very good um, like observation, and um, just uh, just a keen like truth it's, it's true um, and I, and I know um, the influence that could be had, and I, I know the influence that's given to me when I show up, you know I, I feel it I own it, um, and it's um it is a game changer in, in in those in those meetings, and I think that a lot of um, um, kids here don't may not have that uh, like Sanaya and Chenzura has when I show up on their behalf, um, and um, and they get what they need, they get the access because I will advocate for it, all of that. You know, and I'm not you know going to let them um, um, like. Slip that around or try to fast talk me. I, I understand it, like you know. So, um, and Latoya, tell you like I'm very soft spoken sometimes, but not in those meetings. <laughs> 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 not in those meetings. And um, I think also another tangible thing that be done, and I think it's just a a thing that we should think about is um, some sort of um, effort to um, boost um, the. And, and encourage the parents of this community to establish their own their PTA to get more involved in uh, what they can do, getting more involved in something that could be done in regards to the school climate um, and culture in this community in Ward Eight and in Ward Seven. I think that um, you know I'll be interested in talking about that and discussing that further if that can if that is something that could be done. But that's tangible. That's action. Uh, I'm not. Here to be called anybody to action, but um I've been thinking about that for a while in regards to like not being able to send my kids to Turner because I'm in it my decision and I own it uh, but it's not I don't think that it's um, a school that is um that 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 has um really empowered parents to really have some sort of say so um and what goes on there, and so I think that Getting into work, getting um, into work that empower parents in this community who are already doing things in these schools um, a little further. I think we identify who those those people are and empower them. Um, that would be uh, something good to do. Yeah.
3: You don't have to be a parent to come to PTA meetings. Um, I was involved um, at different times with Anacostia's parent teacher association. Um, so you don't have to be a parent. Any community member is welcome to come to those meetings, find out what's going on at the school, and get involved however possible.
5: Uh, two big needs that come to my mind in terms of Cornerstone, well, prayer for sure. Um, but also, we really need a school counselor. And because we're a private school and we raise all of the money, and also there's programs through the government too that support this, but Um, If you know anyone who would be interested in volunteering, pro bono counseling or any, yeah, um, please let me know and just please pray about that because so many of the students really do need a counselor and don't have access really to that. And then the second thing is we um, also have a mentorship program at Cornerstone and mentors, more mentors would be great. We're gonna have um, uh, applications um, well, we have a, we'll have a application deadline like in October or something. I can send an email out if you're interested in being a mentor this year. But also, we need help in terms of volunteers, in terms of running the program. So right now, it's me and some other people who are running it. And it's a lot to do on top of teaching. So we're really praying and hoping that some people can step in and help us out
1: um so i I really like what everyone shared especially like jamie's breakdown like tell she's a teacher the outline of awareness involvement and prayer um and one thing that comes to mind is be faithful in whatever you choose to do just be consistent so whether it's a little thing like being a mentor not a little thing whether it's being a mentor whether it's praying on when on mondays or wednesdays whether it's talking to your neighbor and asking them about their kids education experience whether it's um, meeting up with the principal, be faithful in whatever you choose to do. Um, and just like for people who think really macro and it can, it's helpful to think macro, I know when I went to Legacy, like 2011, 2012, I was really impressed with GRIP Outreach and how they were engaging the city around schools. And so I like looking to models for to see what's possible. So GRIP Outreach, going to Legacy, um, we some of us read Educating All God's Children and so and you remember at Just Gospel they talked about the Expectations Project and talking about engaging Christians in faith based advocacy I think this book does a good job of yeah, giving a big picture, and then at the end, it actually lists a bunch of resources, lots of different organizations. Um, there's people in here who work for big organizations, whether it's Advocates for Justice and Education, where we partner with parents to disciple them to do a lot of the stuff that Johnny and just we want people to be able to do well for their children. I think that's a great finding organizations like that. Johnna's organization, Washington Lawyers Committee, that actually works with. Um, Establishing and creating parent groups at Title I schools. Um, there's just so many ways to get involved. And then, one other, one big one that I think is overlooked is just civic participation. And so, praying for our mayor to care about education and do right by schools in all wards, praying for the DCPS chancellor, praying for the Public Charter School Board, and talking to your ward. Your elected officials about how they're caring for this issue. I feel like that's huge and encouraging your neighbors and friends to also do those things as well because, um, yeah, the loudest voices get heard and a lot of times the voices in Ward 7 and 8 are not being heard because those people have been made to feel like their voices don't matter. And so I think as Christians, we have a great opportunity to affirm the Imago Dei in people and to say that not only do you matter to god but you matter in our community and so i would yeah that, that's my dream that um yeah that parents in ward seven and eight will be encouraged equipped and empowered to speak out on behalf of their children
6: great
0: those are some great um suggestions we also meet the second sunday of the month after church um Educators, non-educators, we pray um, for education needs. We read that book, um, so if that's something that you're interested in, um, that's something uh, another way to be involved. Um, if you, whatever schools are near you, um, it would be worth knowing the schools that are closest to you, and um, you know, doing a needs assessment, like just walking in and saying, like, what what do you all need? Um, what are ways that um, we can help? I think that is always a really practical way. Um, we are cutting it close on time, but if there's a couple questions, we can answer those. Um, we're just, Jelani, could you give Johnna that mic and you can just come, to, she'll give it to you. Um, does anybody have any questions they wanna ask the panelists before we go? Okay.
6: Actually, you know what, I do have a question. Um, and this is for the OG, um, Ms. Connie Brown. Uh, so my question is that you know, in comparison to when my parents were in school, my parents both grew up very poor. Um, my father grew up in uh, the Jim Crow South, so he had to go to a segregated school. Um, but their experience was a lot different than what we're seeing right now. So I, when I was working at a Title I school, it was off the hook. <laughs> there were moments of hope. You know, there, you see little things, um, but there were, just this level of depravity um, in comparison to when my parents went to school that that I never experienced. So you being the OG, and uh, I am curious to know, what do you think happened over time where things changed?
4: Macro speaking, you know, the whole anti-Bible movement happened. You know, it used to be that we were just a Bible society, so there was, just an assumption that you taught from there. That was the basis of what you taught from. And then the other thing is that I remember, I keep talking about the males in my life, but I remember one of them who pretty much I can say, I think he would agree, was kind of disappointed in his outcome, said, you know what happened when grandma left the school to go to be the cafeteria manager at another school, the teachers couldn't look at me and say, I'm going to get your grandmother away. Just that sense of community changed. Um, You were saying about the rural south, but I think just in the US, there was a wave of um, taking people of color out of their community for the sake of busing. And just, it changed the whole culture, the whole school dynamic. And then globally, we just started to become secular and anti-God and just a whole bunch of stuff in the mix to, to make it off the chain, as you say. <laughs>
7: um, my name is Thierry. Um, D.C. has one of the highest um, state spending per student in the country, right? And um, maybe in some other states, spending more money per student may be the solution. But when we look at the proficiency rates among minorities, we see that Um, the money being spent in D.C. is not doing enough, right? And I think we can see this all through our culture where um, if we spend money, we like to throw money at things unwisely, and many times the problem remains, if not, it gets worse. And so my question is, um, in what ways from y'all's perspective do y'all think um, D.C. should invest more or invest less so that we can actually see results among minorities, better results, because 22% and 26%, that's not good at all, right? And if you, I mean, 18, the eighteen to $21,000 being spent, um, you can spend more, but if those aren't, if that money isn't producing better results, then what's that money being spent for?
4: I'll lead off with that one too, but it's almost an extension of what John and I just got finished talking about. In those days when your parents and me were coming up, we were a community-minded school, and we were, so many of us were Christians, maybe some nominal, but I think, in my experience, a whole heap real Christians. And we didn't depend on, we were present and active, and education started with with us. And um, from that, I mean, this is just my experience, but, yeah, from that there was, you know, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And from that stepping stone, we went into our schools so that a person could look at me or my brother and say, should I go get your grandmother in the cafeteria? And that's all they had to say because there was that fear of God and that fear of, but um, so many, even as I read that part of the history, so many of the schools were community-minded. There's a book out, there it shows um, Booker T. Washington and one of the Sears robots, um, mega millionaires, who partnered, the name of the book is called We Need a Schoolhouse, and they didn't want, they just wanted startup money from this guy, and then they said, we'll pay you back once we get our schoolhouse, because we'll take, and this was in the, the segregated South, that there's still some existing schools now where the community owned it. As you say, you didn't have to be a parent in the community, you just had to be a concerned civic person. And all that changed, there was a big shift, but. I think, you know, just the, the testament that we're spending all this money and we're getting no outcome speaks loudly that there must be something more than money that's needed.
3: And I would just say, really quick, I would just say like where and what are we spending it on like, are we allocating our funds to things that are gonna matter for students, or are we just, like, I think that the, the money is different for a student here than it is for a student on the Hill. So, I, I don't know where that, that lapse is, but I know the kids here might not see that money the way that the kids, somewhere else, I'm not just trying to compare the Hill, but an indifferent War Ward might, might see it.
2: Yeah, I think Ward 3 schools do the best um, in regards to um, student outcome and achievement. Uh, and um, I think that the money issue is um, a justice issue you know, in regards to how that money is allocated, right? Um, but if I had a way with the money, um, and what I don't see is special education is um, not a priority in places where it should be a priority, um, and I've had schools tell me that um, they are not resource. To take my child, like seriously, tell me that, and they are public school, and I know better. They shouldn't tell me that, right? All right, and so, um, but because they are a school that, you know, um, they um, they made some decisions on how they wanted to spend their money. That's a, they. That's how they thought they could tell me that, right? Also, I think that um, some schools are. Um, overly stressed in terms of instruction and how they give instruction. And so I think that, um, I know it's not true here in Anacostia High because they have classrooms with 10 people in it, yeah. Um, But I know there are schools where there are classrooms that are over um, 20, 30 kids in the classroom. That's not, good instruction cannot happen in that environment at all. And so I think that if you would um, spend more money for more teachers, um, spend money in regards to um, doing things to retain teachers, and so that relationships between the teacher and the student can develop over um, a course of a couple of years, not six months, when the teacher will leave the school because they're tired of teaching or they're tired of the environment, you know? Um, So if money could be a solution, I think those are places where it should go. Um, you know, an investment. And that's it. That's all I have.
0: Thanks, Melanie. Um We're going to wrap up in a second. I, was, I do want to weigh in really quick. I, I think my school is a good case study of this. We're in Ward 8. We're a charter school. We have a lot of money, actually. Um, and our students scored exactly the same on these park tests as um, the rest of the city. And everyone was kind of so everyone was kind of shocked, um, we didn't, we scored better than other Ward 8 schools, but in comparison, only 20% of our students are proficient, um, I think it's an ELA or math, and, um, I firmly believe that we, all of these things are important, like, I think we need to continue to invest in schools, um, but when my students come in every day, and, um, you know, over 10% of my students are homeless. Um, A lot of them live in shelters, like far northeast, so when you take three buses to get to school, um, when there's a lot of trauma um, and a lot of things that my students are exposed to, I've learned that even the most structured environment and even the money, it helps, but it actually, um, at the end of the day, when they're going back to a lot of the same toxic stressors, um, it's difficult to shift that needle. And I think that we've been faced with this huge like, oh no, we thought like we were doing this breaking thing and we, this was our first year our students could take part. Mm. And it shows that um, at the end of the day, there's factors beyond school that are impacting our students and there's community factors. Um, you know, my students describe like, they don't like when there's gunshots in the outside of their house when they're trying to go to sleep. And there's, there's just so many things that they're facing that we it's outside of schools and so I often say like if I could put my money I would have a community center attached to my school where they could get their basic needs met Um, there would be an opportunity to have mental health services in the school Um, I just think that there's a lot of things outside of just academia that are impacting our students Um, and so um, I just wanted to kind of weigh into that one and unfortunately we're um, over time, I don't know. Patrice, um, did you want to
6: close us out? Oh. In a, oh. Or a What are you asking? would you say? What? Close us out. How? <laughs> oh, in pr- I was just gonna say. In prayer, in oh, prayer. oh. Yeah. Sure, yeah. Sure, yeah. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> was like I don't know. I was um, like, yeah.
1: I was like I want to respect Mr. Young's time, who yeah. so graciously helped with setup this morning, and has a student in a DC public school. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just weigh in real quick. I would just say there's lots of models. I would look at the Harlem children's um, zone because I think that's a great example of like a wraparound community and starting from the cradle all the way up and also there is a big push in the city around community schools and wraparound supports in schools and seeing the schools that actually um, schools that are actually doing somewhat well with um, kids suffering trauma generally have those built in mental health supports in the school or other wraparound supports so it, I think it's about um, spending wisely. So thanks, everyone, for their time. I'm so impressed. Oh, I see Donna has yeah, something. Sorry,
6: I just wanted to plug in and what you were saying. Mm. Also, um, a lot of times um, children are really smart. But mm-hmm. They don't have the opportunity to grow. So a tangible way is possibly paying for a field trip. Mm. <laughs> you know, it costs money for a bus. It costs money to pay for lunch. And then sometimes children don't have manipulatives in the classroom. Um, so those tangible things that you would see in a typical Ward 3 school, um, some of those children don't have in the schools that are here in the city um, or in Ward 8. So it's an equity issue as well. Um, so if you can use your money in that way, getting in contact with the principal, um, that might be a great way to be invested in, in the schools here.
0: Donna, can you also leave a sign-up sheet? We'll just like put up there, like the... And if you want to write down your email, like, if you want to be on uh, emails for, our, like, monthly meetings, um, there's specifically, uh, we have a Google group. Google group that we might, like, send out prayer, like, specific prayer requests. You can just put your email there. Um, also, before you pray, can we just give a round of applause for our panelists? And our
1: moderator.
0: Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh-huh.
1: Thanks to everyone, all their behind the scenes work to making this event possible so we can go to the Lord. Dear Lord, you are great and majestic and you care about the whole world, God. You sit high but you look low on the children of man, God, seeking um, to bless those, God, made in your image and to use um, those who you've called by their name to have impact in this um, world, God. So we thank you, God, for the opportunity to um, make your message known, God, to show mercy, to um, reach the lost, God, to disciple and walk alongside families, God, and um, point them to you, God, so that they can grow up in the fullness of Christ, God. We pray for the teachers and social workers and um, administrators, God, ministering in your name, God, seeking to um, bind up the broken, God, and to heal um, wounded hearts, God. Um, We pray for our elected officials in the city, God, that they would um, invest wisely, God, that they would care for every child in the city as their own, God. Um, And we pray just um, for a burning responsibility, God, for um, the congregation here at ARC, God, Um, That we would consider well how we can really live out our mission, God, to um, bring the gospel to um, the four corners of the block as well as to the globe, God, particularly through the venue of public education, God. So we thank you for this time. I pray that we would um, think deeply and that you would move us to action. I pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen.